In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. All right. Welcome back to the Quality Matters podcast brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance. Quality management gets simplified. We have a new guest on our podcast today. This is Robert Cammy. We've had the pleasure of working with him for the last uh, few months here, but he's got a uh, background in the automotive industry, has come to work for an aluminums company. And so it's kind of a little bit of a fun history there. And they have recently gone for their ISO 9001 certification. And I just thought it'd be fun to bring on someone who's freshly gone through this process and kind of talk about why it's important to them and, and some of the, the pitfalls and good, bad, and the ugly through the whole process. So, Robert, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. Yeah, thank you. So, tell... Tell everyone here a little bit about, you know, kind of who you are, what your background is, and and how you wound up working for a uh, company that melts down aluminum. Absolutely. Uh, my main background really is in automotive. I started as a as a co-op way back in the day with uh, General Motors, uh, originally mm-hmm. from Detroit myself in the Midwest. And as you can imagine, it's a very heavily populated town with automotive companies. And oh, yeah. uh, General Motors was the first one I started at. So okay. I started my uh, co-op tenure there, um, worked in um, uh, heating ventilation controls for a bit, did some also uh, launch support way back in the day in uh, Framingham, Massachusetts, and then had a chance to join Ford Motor Company as what they called a Ford College graduate, uh, okay. where you get a chance to rotate through the company in a diff- couple of different positions and get a broader view of uh, the way it's uh, put together. So okay. I went to work for Ford. Um, and, what were some uh, of the different positions you did? This is something I try to advocate for folks a lot when they're jumping into a new role is seriously, do your own little mini dirty jobs, like do a different job throughout the organization, learn what they do. So what are some of the things they tossed you into there? So when I was at Ford, I got a chance to do some cute computer aided modeling, but my, my real love was aerodynamics. So I worked in the wind tunnel. Uh, okay. Back in the day, I just tell you how old I am. I styled a 1994 Mustang. Uh, convertible. We had a lot of complaints from customers that when they were driving a convertible, especially from females, that the wind would push their hair forward. It was very uncomfortable driving hmm. it. So we changed the windshield slope and a bit of the aerodynamics around the car to get it to be more um, uh, pleasing for our customers. And okay. uh, spent some time working on optimizing the shapes of the vehicles to get the drag down to reduce fuel economy consumption or improve fuel economy and reduce consumption. So I had a chance to do that for a little while. And uh, then I did some what they call uh, design and release. I got into the brakes of the vehicle and uh, spent some time in brakes on uh, uh, Mustang as well. And uh, then I took a respite from Ford. I had a company called Boeing call me and um, I had always had a passion for airplanes. I'd stuck around home for some family reasons. At that time, I, my dad had passed away from cancer. So I stayed around uh, Detroit to help my family transition through um the loss of my dad yep. uh, but Boeing called me and i went out to seattle and uh, worked on something they call a triple seven and then there i was the okay. uh, uh lead stress engineer on the uh, wing on the inboard wing so i had a chance to work on aircraft there and saw that plane through its first flight and then um 
they said, hey, we're not going to do another airplane for 20 years. And I said, well, what do we do oh, wow. in between? <laughs> they said, uh, <laughs> keep working to refine this one. And I said, oh, I'm not so sure that uh, that sounds all that fun. So I uh, went back to Ford and then uh, continued my journey through uh, brakes and uh, steering and tires and wheels and gotcha. shocks and struts and became a chief engineer in the end. Okay. So I, uh, I worked my way up to chief engineer at Ford. Very cool. Uh, at that time, then I um, I left uh, Ford when they had a chance to offer some of us early retirements and left uh, in about 2007 and started the world of uh, management of profit and loss or, uh, uh, businesses. So became uh, involved in managing the profit and loss of uh, Kaiser Aluminum. That's where I started my love of metals. Okay. Um, we're working on extrusion presses. And then the economy fell apart in 2009 and uh, I found myself in Houston, Texas. Okay. Okay. Private equity in the oil and gas industry spent really the next uh, six, seven years in oil and gas until a company called JB Poindexter called me and I went to work for them as a vice president of continuous improvement and uh, had a chance to run some companies under the JB Poindexter umbrella. Did that for a while and uh, was president of Master Rack, one of the companies that uh, we acquired during that time and um, ran a recall campaign and, and then um, left there to uh to join arsham aluminum alloys and uh and take this company uh, from um a family-owned business into a more formalized iso 9000 certified player in the aluminum industry and that's oh, where i'm at now that is really cool i hadn't realized how uh diverse your background had been there as well so that's, that's a really uh really really cool track how you got there so what are y'all doing with arsham aluminum so Arsham Aluminum is a company that is in the secondary smelting segment of the of the business. We take scrap, so it's a it's got kind of a green life cycle uh, edge to it. We take scrap from uh, various sources of aluminum. We melt it. We add some elements and alloys such as uh, magnesium or manganese or vanadium, strontium, mm-hmm. uh, and then we turn it into a specialized formulation that meets customer needs. So Every customer is a little bit different. Some have a different blend of what they want in their aluminum. We meet the, the needs of our customers with the various formulations that we are able to produce. So yep. we then turn uh, that scrap into what we call sows, which are very large format mm-hmm. aluminum um, um, formations that are about 2,000 pounds. And oh, then yeah. We also make huge. <laughs> yeah, we also make ingots, which, which are about 22 pounds. And they, they look like, uh, uh, you know, a, a longer gold block that you might see. In, uh, in <laughs> but, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the uh, secondary smelting here. This is something that I found really, really interesting working with you guys. Like you're literally taking just scrap metal and turning it into this ultra refined, you know, very, uh, I say ultra refined, very, um, very particular, very, very particular chemistry for very specific applications. I mean, we're talking about how many decimals ended do some of these formulations go again? To the third decimal place on some yeah, formulations. I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy. You know, I uh, spent some time working for the uh, gas turbine world, and I, I thought that no one would come close to the super alloys in these gas turbines, but actually some of what you guys are doing for aluminum is, is right up there, if not exceeding a lot of what we, uh, especially some older turbines, <laughs> what we worked with. It, it is definitely a fun time. Uh, there are very particular customers that we have out there, and, uh, and they put some very strong limitations on uh, how mm-hmm. high or how low we can be in certain alloys. 
Yeah. And so, you know, you don't always have the exact same mixture going in as what you come out. So how do you, how do you maintain control when you want a repeatable output, but you don't have very repeatable inputs? Well, we use something that's uh, it's called an optical emission spectrometer. So that's a very fancy name, but really what it does is it shoots a plasma wave at, uh, at a piece of a sample we take from the furnace. It excites all the atoms that are part of that, that small sample. And as the atoms get excited, when they come from their excitation state down to their normal state, they give off a wavelength of light. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this instrument reads that light. Every, every wavelength of light is unique to a certain atom and a certain element. And yep. what it does is it basically analyzes the content that's in the furnace through that sample. So in layman's terms, it, you know, if you, could, if you could sample your cake batter that... Uh, <laughs> that your mom might have or her secret recipe for her sauce or what then right you could break it apart into the you know whatever the components are if it's butter or wine or garlic or yep. uh, you know olive oil then it, it breaks down into all the different components that are part of that secret sauce and uh you want to maintain that you know um it's in a sense it's a uh, sort of reverse engineering it to make sure that 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 sample is consistent with what the customer expects gotcha gotcha now so what, what type of, um, you know, applications is this used, used for? I mean, you know, without going into any uh, proprietary information, but like what are these uh, aluminum ingots and uh, sows used for? So they go into a variety of different things. Uh, some of our customers are using them for transmission casings. Some of them are using them in engine blocks, uh, valve heads. Some are using them in suspension components. Some are using them in frame and structural components of a vehicle. Uh, so they've got a different a number of different uses uh, that our customers have, which are varied. And that's the beauty of providing them a raw material. They're able to uh, melt it again themselves, and they usually push it through a high-pressure machine that, that casts it through a die casting process okay. into a formation. So um, it, you know, it could be a suspension arm. It could be, uh, like I mentioned, a transmission casing or, or any kind of part. And they usually um, have a tool or a mold. That, uh, that they're using to finalize that part and uh, complete the manufacturing. So why such specificity on uh, the, the chemical composition? I mean, I think one of these that we saw, I mean, it looked like, what, a 20 different elements in, in here. So when we think about aluminum, like, you don't really think about this being, uh, you know, quite so detailed. So what benefits do you get from uh, such very fine grain specifics on the chemistry? It does, has a lot to do with the strength of the material, the ductility, the ability for it to resist fatigue, temperature, uh, you know, on engine blocks or, or heads, they go through very, very high temperatures, then they yeah. cool down. So you're driving down the road in, in Houston, Texas, and it's 105 degrees outside. Well, on that valve head, it can be 1100 degrees and it's real yeah. close or, you know, and, and it has a very high temperature um, exposure to it. Then it cools down and it goes through that cycle a number of times. And um, I shouldn't say 1100 degrees. Those valves probably, those heads get to four or 500 degrees, but aluminum melts at about 1100 degrees. Right, so right. You, have, you have to keep it below that. So adding some of the different uh, elements like strontium or vanadium, those can be grain refiners that align the structure of the atoms within that aluminum very carefully to give it the most strength possible. Um, it also has, again, a lot to do with the temperature resistance and the fatigue strength. And uh, depending on the application, the customer and the engineers of those various components have come up with their formulation that uh, meets the requirements of what they're designing. Well, so 
I guess that kind of makes sense there. So we understand why the chemistry is so important, but how do you maintain such tight controls? And, and how do you know that you're getting that repeatable output for your customer each time? Yeah, that's through the sampling process I mentioned before. We, we continually sample uh, through a pour or through the manufacturing process. So we do it at the, at the very beginning. We do it uh, shortly thereafter, definitely in the middle right before the end and the end and we we take a number of samples through that process and the manufacturing of that, of that material uh to ensure that those samples we take test on that very special uh, mm -hmm. special machine i talked about earlier that excites yeah. the atoms and we make sure that during the entire process that we don't drift out of um the requirements the customers given us in the spec limits so and this all ties in with you know a lot of the push y'all had for getting the iso 9001 certification so how's all of this really fit together well you know if if you're holding very tight tolerances and uh you're you're doing that repeatedly you have to have process control so yep. our process controls are uh obviously on the on the incoming side on the scrap side we're we're trying to put in the same sort of scrap every time in our formulation. We use uh, we use certain types of scrap. You know, some of it's uh, condensers from uh, your your AC coils. Some of it's wheels that you have from uh, automotive applications. Some of it is uh, just general aluminum scrap from um, restaurants or um, commercial buildings, doors, windows, and and that combination we try to to keep consistent. Okay. We try to bake the cake basically the same way every time, but there's always some adjustment to that. Yep. But yet we, we try to run the furnace the same number of cycles with the same heat at the same speed. We pour out about the same temperature. We try to keep as much consistent as we can. We really approach this as if we're like making a pharmaceutical product, like you're making Tylenol. Yep. When, when you and I go to the store, we buy a bottle of Tylenol, we expect every pill in that bottle to be the same. I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good analogy. So... You know, one thing that I've run into in the past is folks tend to see the way that they run and operate um, the production side of their business as maybe separate from, and I, I hate the term, the ISO system. But in you guys' case, this is all fairly well integrated into how you operate and run and maintain the production system. So what was the benefit for you of implementing a 9001 compliant management system? Well, it, it, it helps us in in our in our uh, repeatability and, rep and reproducibility we view iso as tell us what you're going to do do what you say you're going to do and prove it mm -hmm. and in, in, in a very simplistic way that's how we think of uh, of what we do here every day so getting iso certified was just a parallel path to that and an adjacent exercise to that and it really just it just put us through a secondary step and validation of what we're doing and it helped us structure our, our quality system around doing what we say we're gonna do, repeating it, and then being able to prove it, um, and having the controls in place that verify we are doing what we say we're gonna do. So it, it, it helped us formalize that system, it helped yep. us uh, put some more controls around that system, and it, it helped us document what we do. Yeah, um, one actually of the, be able to prove it to someone else after the fact. Exactly. And one of the huge benefits we had working with TQA and yourselves uh, and your in your company, Kyle, is that the cloud system that you all have put together um, that has all this, the segments of the processes and the procedures and the work instructions and the training documents, 
that all helped us organize our documentation and be able to to show that to an auditor yeah. uh, in a systematic way. And it really, again, helped us put all of our information in one place in an organized fashion that we could access. And it's it's been a benefit to our team members. They can access that information and find it. Yep. It's been a benefit to us to ensure the right team members trained on the right procedure and the right mm -hmm. has the right skill to do the right job. And then it's able, it's helped us to just put all of our information in one place that we can access. Yeah. And I mean, that is absolutely, absolutely key. I know that was uh, when I first got into the quality world, you know, years ago, that was the first thing I did. They got me to go from working the 80 plus hours a week consistently and some weeks hitting a hundred plus. And I know you've been down that road as well. And if you can drop that back down, it's, it's a huge, huge benefit. Um, so let me ask you this for other small businesses out there looking to kind of get their act together, get a streamlined, you know, very re reproducible process like you guys have. Um, what would be some advice you've got for other small business owners, operators, managers out there? What are the, the pitfalls to look out for and, you know, and so forth? I, I think for the other small businesses, I would, I would take a step back and I would architect and blueprint what you do. And, and think about what what are your key processes. Uh, yep. Really, in a lot of small businesses, they break down to, you know, some kind of major category. You know, it might be, you know, purchasing, or it might be um, operations and what you make or what you service, and you know how those things interact. You know, it's it's planning, it's realization, and then you know it's your quality assurance, what you're doing to make sure you're putting a quality product out there. Pitfalls, I think that that. Kind of tripped us up were a lot of the things that uh, should be basic. We didn't have things like job descriptions. Uh, we sure, were remiss sure. of those things. We had to put job descriptions in place um, for every job that we had. Yeah, um, yeah, we we had to more formalize our organizational chart with roles and responsibilities. And then we we had to we had to ask ourselves if the people who were in those roles with those responsibilities had had the opportunity to be trained to do that job properly. I mean, it was, it's sort of the, the ABCs of things, but um, some of those things were overlooked and we had to go back yeah. and clean that up. And it is, it, it is really easy. And I would say, I can't even say that whether it's necessarily a, a small business or midsize that it's any different, but um, it's so easy to overlook it because you just know someone does that job and, but you do have to uh, show how they integrate into the process and, and show some evidence that, that they're uh, competent to do the job. Exactly. And, uh, and that's something that, that through this process and through the certification we were able to put in place. It also helped us to more formalize, as I mentioned, our document collection and record retention uh, by using the cloud and putting all that information up there. And then it also helped us to formalize our preventive maintenance plan and ensure mm -hmm. that we were, we were complying with that. Um, we had, uh, you know, we had some loose um, implementation of that. We were using Outlook and Outlook calendar invites, uh, using meetings to basically schedule the time to lube our chains and right. grease our fittings. So, uh, you know, putting a more. Uh, you want to make that a repeatable process as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let me uh, let me kind of shift gears a little bit here then. So how long with you guys, this was kind of a almost like a. a start of the project and kind of a restart of the project. So how long did it really take to go through and put everything in place? Now, I know you worked incredibly hard on this, pro 
this uh, process, but how long did it take start to finish to get ready with folks dedicated, ready to go? Really from, from a flat zero start, which was in late December when we first uh, rolled this out to our team, uh, to our certification, which came late March, early April, um, it was a full three month press. And in that time we completed an internal audit um, that was done by TQA and yourselves. And then we mm -hmm. did a stage one with, uh, with the auditor himself. And then we yep. did a stage two uh, in early March, had a few uh, things to clean up coming out of that audit. And then yep. um, uh, received our certification, uh, like I say, late March and, and or really early April, we, we got it finally uh, communicated to us that we had passed. So I'd say three months uh, from start to finish. I don't recommend this for people uh, because it was uh, it was a lot of weekend work. Yes, yes. A, a tremendous amount of document creation. I mean, you yep. know, I'm in a situation here where this was previously a family-run company. Right. And, you know, they hadn't had forms for job descriptions. They hadn't had forms for training records. They hadn't had forms for packing slips. They, they hadn't created forms for a number of different things, preventive maintenance. And all of that form and document creation uh, really was extremely time consuming. Yeah. Uh, we, we've created a library of documents now along the way, and we still do. You know, we, we continue to create documents, uh, inspection standards, traceability yep. matrices. Uh, but the majority of what we had to create was extremely time consuming, and it took hundreds. I was working at least 100 hours a week there for yep. about eight weeks solid, and, uh, and all weekend, Saturday and Sunday, just creating documents, approving documents, uh, revising processes, procedures, getting processes and procedures to, to agree with each other. If we had one procedure mm -hmm. that referenced another one, we had to make sure that they were in lockstep. Yep. That, that integration piece can be uh, really tough. And then that's where a lot of the, the time consuming uh, parts can fall into place because you develop this one to run this way and that one to run another way. But if they're, you know, cross angles from each other, it can take a while. Now, tell me about the audit process y'all went through for the third-party audit. This is something we don't really talk about, I, I guess, in much detail. I don't. You'll actually be the first person to uh, kind of give that first-hand account of it uh, on the podcast. So, what's that third-party audit like? Ooh, well, <laughs> um, the stage one audit um, really came about in a in a sort of a strange way. We we thought that we were on the calendar for the auditing company that we use. And I don't know if you want me to mention it or not, but no, yeah, uh, they, there was some mix up with, with the schedule there for sure. And so last minute they came to us and said, we're not able to accommodate your request in, uh, in person. The best we can do is a video call. Well, yeah. I've never really been through an audit over zoom, it's <laughs> but different. It's different. Now. <laughs> and in our stage one audit, we did a lot of screen sharing, and a lot yep. of uh, uh, discussion and document presentations, and it, it took us a it took us a while. Um, yeah. the, you know, the regimented amount of time that was that was allocated, but we got through stage one via video. Yeah. And uh, our auditor, in my opinion, was extremely detailed. Extremely. Uh, agree. Nine times out of ten, um, our, our lead auditor, uh, uh, Dawn, she. Uh, She's far more detailed than these external auditors go, but this one that uh, caught us by surprise as well. I think her and I both had a had a look of amazement on our face <laughs> for some of the questions and and some of the detail that was requested. I mean, we thought we had a, a really good plan. We put a get we put together what we thought was a very good quality system. 
Yeah. Um, there, there are a few holes. I mean, nothing major. You know, for instance, uh, we had taken a tremendous amount of time to put a training matrix in place for our hourly uh, workforce. But um, the question came back for people like myself and others in, yeah. in the salary roles to prove your college education, your degrees, and what you had been trained in, and, and have a training plan for us as well. So uh, we were remiss on that a bit, but we cleaned it up and, uh, and got down the road on that. And, and things like that are, I mean, well, to some degree, are fairly normal. Maybe the uh, the the amount of detail you that uh, you guys had to go through, not so much. But it's pretty common to leave these audits with some additional recommendations and whatnot. And and some of that comes down to uh, oftentimes a each auditor's got a unique perspective. Uh, this one, maybe it's slightly more than unique. <laughs> yes, this, this auditor was very, very detailed. And I and I, I do appreciate that because it's made us stronger. Yep. Uh, you know, it's like having a tough coach or maybe a, a stringent teacher, but you come out a little smarter on the other end and a little bit better player or athlete, you know, uh, with, yep. the, with the sort of program that was put in place. And I think that's what happened here. We we had a very detailed auditor who just made us stronger and uh, and really uh, went through a lot of detail, very efficiently, by the way, but went through a lot of detail. Yeah. And our stage two, um, our stage two audit was in person and uh, took two days. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went through all of our quality systems and interviews with our with our uh, our workforce. And we had to have a translator. Some of our workforce doesn't yep. speak English. And so we got through that. Uh, and he found one process that we had that wasn't uh, specifically detailed in a manner that uh, was acceptable. So we had some work to do to clean that up, um, but no, no major issue there. And, uh, you know, he was quite complimentary for a company that really didn't have a system three months ago to a full fledgling system and a fully documented ISO system yeah. that we had regimented and put in place and, and, and uh, could prove it. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point there that going through these audits, it really does a lot to force you to, uh, uh, to put a very keen eye on it. I mean, it really does make you better if you allow it to. Now, I've run into the situation before where folks, they don't take the, uh, well, honestly, just very humble approach that, uh, that you have. Okay, well, how can we be better here? How can we make improvements? And they spend an inordinate amount of time and energy fighting with the auditor. And y'all did not do that. Y'all really took it as, okay, well, we think this might be a little more down the rabbit hole than we ought to go, but let's go with it and see what we can do to improve. Yeah, and I would say that it, at several points during the audit, the auditor said, okay, now, you know, in retrospect, if you make these improvements, are you going to be better? Is this right. going to leave you with a better company tomorrow than you had yesterday? Yeah. And when you sit back and look at it from that perspective, you have to say to yourself, we are getting better. Yep. And and let's face it, as human beings, we all uh, have our issues with change from time to time. But we, also, no, we never. also know that if we don't change, we don't improve. So <laughs> but it's tough. But it, it's it does tough. not feel good. And uh, and, you know, this is uh, this was a labor of love and to some degree um, having uh, that labor of love called out. Yeah. Was challenging. But um, yeah. we did it. We're better for it, and we have a, a much stronger system today than uh, we had you know, before. But I think in the end, the auditor was more than fair and really at some point said, hey, you know, you have hired us. And I think that we lose track of that sometimes. We forget. <laughs> we hire these auditors. <laughs> We're paying for this. Right. And, That's and the job they're there to do. 
yeah, it's a request we make and they're just here doing their job. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's hire a CPA or, or hire a lawyer. Yeah. They're there to, to work for you. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't feel like that. They turn the table. But in this case, <laughs> that, that didn't happen. He was very, very good about it. And, uh, and said, you know, reminded us, hey, you know, I'm here because you hired me and, uh, you know, we're here to try to make you better. Now, if we find some things that are not in compliance or within the, the specifications and he continually pulled out the actual ISO document, the requirements right. and referred back to, you know, page and paragraph of what is required yeah. by the standard. Can't yeah. argue with that. Can't yeah. argue. And that's what I tell folks a lot of times as well is if you find that you're running at crossroads with the auditor is ask them what clause of the standard are you looking for compliance to? Once we can identify that, we're we're in good shape. We can have a similar conversation. Um, so really, uh, last thing here that uh, I got for you is what doors uh, or type doors is this going to open for you guys having this certification in place versus having all the processes, but maybe not going through the process of certification? Well, it becomes a barrier. It becomes a price of entry. Uh, a lot of companies just don't take us seriously and don't find us credible without this certification. Yep. Uh, it really does prove that you have put a quality system in place and it, it and we did, uh, and we didn't have it before. Yep. So a company that was doing business with us that has the expectation of reproducibility and repeatability um, might've been skeptical and, yep. and justified in doing it and justified in being so. Now yeah. that we're certified, it's opened up doors for us to work with uh, automotive companies, aerospace mm -hmm. companies, and a lot of just discerning companies who want to ensure that they're dealing with a company who is repeating their process consistently and can prove it. Uh, and and uh, it means something to have gone through this audit. It means something to have put this quality system in place. And it means something to them that they're going to be doing business with someone who's consistent. And uh, it's, it's opened up a lot of doors for us with customers we never would have been able to even uh, talk to. So uh, it's given us credibility. It's given us some uh, respect in the industry. And certainly it's going to open up a lot more customers to our, our doors. I think that is a fantastic spot to end on there. Now, I have to say... I have had a blast just going out to uh, the facilities, seeing the work you guys do. I mean, it's just fascinating work, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of the guy that just, that's my favorite part of the job is I just love to go out and see every facility and what they do. And I'm constantly blown away at how many different ways folks can find to add value and to be one additional piece in what makes this modern world we live in possible. And really impressed by the work you guys do blown away at the improvements you guys have made. I don't think I've ever seen a company turn things around so quickly, so efficiently. And I know a lot of that falls squarely on your shoulders and y'all just did a hell of a fantastic job. Thank you, Guy. I think, uh, you know, the partnership we forged with TQA is legendary. Uh, well, I've you. never heard of a company going from zero to certified in three months. No. Um, the work that y'all did for us, the foundation you gave us, the cloud system you've, you've provided, and the structure and documents and uh, library of information that was able to come along the way was irreplaceable. And uh, what has been done here with, with you specifically, Kyle, and your leadership and your team is truly legendary. I, I would you. challenge anybody to try to do this in three months, and, uh, and if you do, Come talk to us. I think we can help you learn some things along the way. But it's been a fun journey, 
And, uh, you know, these things sometimes when you look back on them are, uh, um, you know, an accomplishment that, that you might uh, otherwise not have if you didn't put a team in place like the one we had with y'all. So well, I appreciate that. I, I really, really do. Um, like I say, th th this was a, a fun, fun project for all of us. And we're looking forward to, to continue to watch you guys grow and work with you and being a part of it. So thank you so much for your time. Um, if anyone wants to find out about you guys, where do they need to go? What do they need to do to find out more about you? Well, if you, if you have any scrap material to drop off, uh, you come to 11280 Charles Road in Houston, Texas, uh, 77041. Um, if, um, if you have any aluminum needs that, uh, that you might want to, uh, to talk to us about, then please give us a call at 713-896-8585. And, um, of course you can find us on the web with Arsham Aluminum Alloys. I'll uh, make sure all of that is in the, uh, the show notes, uh, below here as well. Okay. And, uh, you know, we're, we're happy to, uh, accommodate any requests smaller or large uh yeah. we work to satisfy all our customers and and now obviously you know we're iso certified so we're going to do it repeatedly and uh prove it and fantastic again, I, hey I you cannot, have a great day i cannot thank you enough kyle thank no. you very thank much you. And your entire team no thank you thank you it's, it's it's been a lot of fun i appreciate it yes sir okay have a Take great care. day now